0: coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. That added element that the Nazis brought into it, some of which they were borrowing from American racism also.
1: It would be such a blessing if somebody knew who this white Jewish doctor was who helped save my mother's life.
0: There's this idea that Jewish people control Hollywood or the Jewish people control the banks and we control business. And when Kanye was, was saying these things, Right, It was so darn harmful because it was playing into those tropes. There are two sides to every coin.
1: How do we deal with racial
2: issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against.
1: There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get
2: together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just
0: bringing them in. Republicans
1: and Democrats. But a lot of times, when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand.
0: A
1: part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, in honor of my slave ancestors, Beverly's great-grandmother would always say in her Gullah Geechee tongue, you know what we done, in your faith. I ain't got to tell ya." And to the new listeners, the interpretation is this. God, you know why we're down here on our knees. I do not have to tell you. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for our guest today, Rabbi Andy Corn And uh, just thank you for what he's done for our community and what he continues to do. Lord, we lift up his family and Odell's family and uh, keep us safe in my family. Keep us safe as we travel about the state and do different things.
0: Amen. Amen. And it says in the Psalms, uh, that uh, I'll give a loose translation of that. When we're together, it's like we're one big family. And I'm just grateful for the uh, family of this community, the broader uh, Greensboro community, the broader communities of faith. What an incredible blessing we have uh, that we can share with one another. And yes, when we are together, it's like, We are with family. May that spirit of connectiveness be one that continues to drive us forward, to which we all say, amen. Amen.
2: Amen.
1: Amen. So, Rabbi, help us understand, because we hear a lot is going on. We hear the shootings, we hear, but we don't hear a lot of good things. We don't hear a lot of people coming together for a better understanding. We don't hear a lot of people asking questions, not like ones on the witness stand, but questioning for a better understanding. So my question to you, sir, is we hear a lot about anti-Semitic. Did I I say it right? Or how do I even say it? Anti-Semitism, yes, exactly. Anti-Semitism. What exactly does that mean? Not that we don't know, but we're trying to get a better understanding because we have to stop it. We have to defeat it. But we just want to make sure we understand it because if someone tells a joke, I know what it is when folks... You know, tell a black joke or racist joke. I understand that, and I have my antennas up for that. I want to make sure my antenna is up when someone says something else, also. So, teach us, Rabbi. Teach us.
0: Yes.
2: Uh, so, uh, let go, me interrupt, yes. Rabbi. Why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, I'll do that. Although, so uh, people- for those who have listened to the podcast before, this is your this third? is my third time. I don't yeah. know if I, if that you're puts regular me in rarefied air or something. <laughs>
2: It's and, either uh, a rare fight or we're punishing you. i no, <laughs> I'm not sure about
0: that. Uh, rabbi Andy Koren. I'm with. Uh, I'm the senior rabbi at Temple Emmanuel here in Greensboro. Temple Emmanuel, having started in this community, was the uh, uh, the first Jewish institution in this area, dating all the way back to 1907. Wow. So our congregation is not the oldest of the congregations, writ large in the faith community, but of the Jewish communities in this area. We go back to 1907 and it just really, uh, I think I'm the 14th senior rabbi of Temple Emmanuel. Wow. it's truly an honor to do that. So there's a few other things that are on the table here for us. One of them is just the acknowledgement of uh, the pain that we continue to experience. And of course, as we're taping right now, just this past weekend, there were two terrible shootings that mm-hmm. went on and we continue to see the results of gun violence and we can save that for another time. But in particular, to focus in on, on the Jewish world, Odell asked the question, well, what is anti-Semitism? And I, I should say this, that in the English language, that word was actually an antiseptic way, you know, antiseptic meaning kind of a wow. clean way that those in, in high society felt that they could express their anti-Jewish bias, today, we would call it anti-Jewish hatred and to do it in a way that would be acceptable the same way that you would say I'm anti-establishment or something like that. You would just say, well, I'm not so into, you know, government ruling thing or maybe anti-monarchy or something like that. You know, I don't feel that the monarchy, oh, and I'm anti-Semitic. I just don't feel. And then there would be a whole list of stereotypes about Jewish people that have been around because anti-Semitism is a relatively new, new newish term going back a couple of hundred years in order to create a perception, not only in high society, but I would say throughout all the different layers of society that hating on Jews was something that was acceptable. Right, And we see different manifestations of this anti-Jewish hatred throughout uh, history. Maybe uh, we have to go no farther back than the Bible itself. Those who are scholars know that we get to the beginning of the book of Exodus and only eight chapters in after um, Joseph had been one of the key rulers of Egypt, eight verses into chapter one, excuse me, of, of the book of Exodus, it says, and then there arose a king over Egypt that did not know Joseph. You know, and all of a sudden the mood starts to change. And uh, what is the rationale that that pharaoh, that that king gives at the time is that, well, you know, they're, they're a large enough group that maybe they will rise up and do damage to us. And that's one of the ancient tropes. We were different than other people, we held different beliefs. So we didn't have a belief in many gods, we had a belief in one God. And being different put us into the uh, proverbial crosshairs, you know, the aim, the target was on our back. And you see that manifest in what was the answer to the Jewish problem at the time. Uh, Pharaoh says, well, let's just throw all the babies, you know, the Jewish uh, boys into the into the Nile River, mm. Mm. right? And so, you could trace that back, but it's not only in the book of Exodus that you see this, you see this in many other places. Uh, the one that I will focus in on just for a moment is in the book of Esther, Uh, If you're familiar with the story of the book of Esther, right, you know, so the king and, you know, there's a queen and she winds up getting uh, kicked off the throne. I'm not going to go into details on that. But then there's a search for another queen and Esther is chosen and her uncle says, just don't tell everybody you're Jewish, right? Keep that identity because that was taking place in Persia. Keep that identity, you know, kind of hidden there, if you will. And uh, maybe that was a wise move because the vice uh, – how would you say it? Like the vice president of all of Persia, his name was Haman, and uh, he put together a plan. Why? Because uh, this uncle of Esther, Mordecai, said, look, as he was going through the streets, I'm not going to bow down to you. I only bow down and worship God. I'm not going to give that type of an honor to to you, the, the honor that's reserved to God. And he got incensed by this. And again, mm-hmm. instead of saying, wow, that Mordecai is a really bad guy – he said, I'm going to do in all the Jews, right? Wow. There is a, a program of genocide that he puts together. On this particular day, they draw lots. And on this particular day, all the Jews throughout the 127 provinces of King Ahasuerus will be put to death. And that's terrible. Right. And uh, and later on, Esther does out herself as being Jewish, uh, asks for the king's help. And the king, of course, uh, you know, um, says, uh, you know, uh, that this is terrible and has Haman put to death and the like. And I'll leave it to the biblical scholars or those who are interested to look at that story. But we know that this is something that is with us for all the ages. The harder part of the conversation comes in when you start to bring in some of the layers of anti-Jewish sentiments that come out of early Christianity. And we could talk about that a little bit more, but once you start adding that additional religious element, right, to already existing views about Jewish people, and you know when christianity was on its rise or at least when it was starting out things might not have been uh as as pronounced but once the uh, roman empire adopts christianity in the 4th century and once the you get you know more of a thing here and i hope by the way i'm not putting the listeners to sleep here because my my purpose is not to give a long you know history lecture but just to say adding that layer of of religion to it so that when the crusades go through right the, the crusaders were looking to to take back the Holy Land, they called it, from the infidels. You know, Muslims had control of the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, and this was a a war that was being fought. But when the Crusades set out in the 11th and the early 12th century, you know, they're there as kind of the defenders of Christianity fighting against Muslims at the time. But along the way, what do they do? They come into different Jewish communities and they wreak havoc. They murder people by the scores. Mm. Uh, We see it in the Spanish Inquisition. You know, in 1492, as uh, Columbus is setting sail, the Jewish people are, after being in in Spain for hundreds, if not well over a thousand years, are expelled, wholesale expelled. You know, why? Because of being on religious grounds and not accepting the teachings of Christianity, we were subject to that. So there's a long and terrible history nearly in every uh, part of the world in terms of the way that the Jewish person is perceived. Right. And very often our personhood was taken away from us and we were set upon and we saw that, I'd say, most pronounced uh, the middle part of last century, where on top of religious justifications for hatred of Jewish people, you then began to see an element of kind of a layering of racism. And here I'm not talking about American racism Americans tend to see things in terms of uh, of white and black and I'm not colorblind right on the one hand but on the other hand those ideas that were coming out of social darwinism that said that certain people were better than others because of a b or c and Jewish people were seen as you know again not part of the uh, of the racial plan of those who wanted to do that that added element that the nazis brought into it some of which they were borrowing from American racism also it was terrible. And it led to the, you know, the attempted genocide, what mm. we call the Holocaust. The three of us went yep. through the International Holocaust Memorial Museum in Israel, in Jerusalem. And uh, we could talk more about that. So, I, mm. you know, this is the long rabbinic answer <laughs> or, yeah, for <laughs> well, everybody well, to I, the simple question. Because all I had to say was anti-Jewish hatred, <laughs> right? And that would have answered the question, know, But to know... But would you- That there's this background there as well as this very long, long history. And we talk about undoing some of the systematic uh, views of people. This is one that's been held for a really long time. It's one of the world's oldest hatreds, if not the world's oldest hatred. I'll rest there.
2: Wow. You know, I was listening to uh, a fella that uh, Bill Greasy has, he does, uh, goes through the whole Bible and he's a scholar and he speaks... Hebrew and he taught in Israel. and okay. He's Roman Catholic. Yeah. And uh, But one of the things he said, we were going through the New Testament and uh, he said, you need to understand that God gave the Jewish people the Bible. Every book that's in there was written for a Jewish person or by a Jewish person and for the Jewish community. And he made them their chosen people. And it never occurred to me to look at it that way. And uh, I was like, wow. Yeah, they are. They receive the Word of God.
0: Yeah, okay. So what else is is part of that? And this is where things get very tricky, because I want to say to those who are listening who are uh, deep and true believers in Christianity, right, that God bless you for doing that. Right, I mean, as Jewish people, I say this and I just root for for Christians, but there also have been elements of Christian theology mm-hmm. over the years that have been quite dangerous. One of those elements is what we call, let's call it replacement theology, which is that there was the old Israel, that was the Jewish people, but now there's the new Israel and that's us. And the hard part about replacement theology or any type of replacement argument that's going to be made is is that you used to be the favored ones, now it's us. Oh, Oh, and by the way, now God has turned on you, okay? And a really important correction to those things happen, and really some of these things have been happening in our own lifetimes, Mm -hmm. You know, when Vatican II, when it meets after World War II and comes up with this idea, uh, not just this idea, but this corrective that says, yeah, you know, for a long time, we taught that uh, the Jewish people had fallen out of favor with God. And let's just understand that we're not teaching that any longer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Catholicism made a significant change. Or when I hear Christians of all varieties, including Protestants, who talk about things like, you know, how we all come from the same stock. Mm-hmm. right i think that there's a teaching and i i, I can't place it but I'm, maybe you guys can you know we're kind of grafted onto the stock i love that type of conversation because it's not like we chop down the other one and we replant <laughs> the new plant, one and yeah. that's us and the old one has fallen out of favor and those are things you know my colleague uh, rabbi libby fisher who i know has been a guest on the show she has a shirt that says bad theology kills oh my goodness and she's so right. Uh-huh. I'm not a Christian educator. I'm a Jewish educator. But Christian educators who stand up in front of their classes and teach about you know a family relationship with the Jewish people cannot understand how important that is. So that when I come to the South, when I come to, uh, and I grew up in Florida, which is kind of a suburb of the North. But uh, when I come you know into North Carolina and start working here as a rabbi, one of the chapters that I started getting quoted at me was genesis chapter 12. now i know genesis chapter 12 because that's where abraham and sarah get their charge by god go forth right yeah Yeah. where i don't really keep reading is the part that says those who bless you shall be blessed and those who curse you shall be cursed and as i was meeting people from all different religious backgrounds here in north carolina what they were saying was our pastor taught us growing up that if we're kind to Jewish people, right, Abraham and Sarah, Mm -hmm. those who bless the Jewish people will be blessed. And I said, what a beautiful thing to teach. Now, we don't come into that just by virtue of the fact that we're Jewish, like, you know, just like we should be hated just by virtue of the fact that we're Jewish. But those who teach that cannot imagine. I mean, you you know, look, you know, we're not a faultless people. Nobody is, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Those who teach that and perpetuate that type of lesson, cannot imagine what good they are doing Mm. for the world around them. Because Mm. we know that there are haters out there and there are people that start with hating on one group and another. And I think, Odell, both you and I know that uh, those who say negative things towards African Americans, towards people of color, saying stuff about Jewish people is only like a couple steps away and vice versa, right? right? Those who might say really hateful things about Jewish people, we know that a couple sentences later, right?
1: Yeah, right They've there.
0: Got They've got something to say about uh, people of color, about African-Americans and the like. So, uh, yeah, wow. it's, it's really well, it's really important yeah. what you said.
2: Well, you know, a grown-up Catholic, and Odell, I'm going to get you in here in a minute. No problem. Uh, we all received the Bible, Old and New Testament, when we got confirmation. Mm-hmm. But we were told not to read it, that only the priest could interpret it, and that we weren't supposed to do it without the priest. And so I never opened up the Bible. And I remember moving down here and uh, a mutual friend, Jed Corman, who was Jewish, was when I came down here, he was part of the team that I was with. And he was Jewish and we got to know each other fairly well. I didn't have any Jewish friends. He was the first one. And I said, uh, Jed, I got to ask you a question. And I said, and this isn't to mean it offensive. It's more to understand. Okay. And I'm not quizzing you. But why did the Jews kill Jesus? And he looked around me and he says, the Romans killed him. And I thought for a minute and I said, my God, I've been taught wrong all my life. It was the Romans. And uh, so, as I got to make friends with you and all my other smoking Jews and one Gentile, (laughs) my eyes, the lenses that I had have completely changed. I feel such a kindred spirit with the community, Dory and I, both our whole family, to the point that when we go to Shabbat service or we go to somebody's house for Passover. Dory and I are invited. My daughter goes. Can I go? I want to learn. That's great. Yeah, and uh, so I thank you. This is a thank you for for taking me into the
0: community. Yeah, and and again, you know, it's just a reminder to the listeners also that. Jewish people in the United States were less than two percent of the population. You know, some of that, by the way, gets used by people who fuel anti-Jewish hatred because they say, "Oh, this is a such a small group, but look at how much power they have." And it's like, <laughs> "Oh, give me a break," you know. Um, I mean, you know, and and worldwide, we're less than a percentage of the population. There's still places on earth where Jewish people aren't welcome, and that's terrible. But mm-hmm. I think that the best thing to do, you know, whether you're coming from Parma, Ohio, or you're mm-hmm. coming from. Uh, Charleston, South Carolina, or something like that, is is to make our our connections with one another and to build those those pieces out. Because you're right. I mean, if you think about it, you know, bad theology kills, right? Amen. You know, deicide, in other words, the killing of God, if you want to call something like that, that would be a terrible crime. And and sure, why not? Until you realize, look, first off, no one's going after Romans, and second off, uh, you know, right. And second <laughs> off, it's like you know, those are things that were yelled, if not at me when I was growing up. Really? killed Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And, and, you know, it was usually, you know, followed by somebody saying other terrible things or trying to do other terrible Mm. things. And uh, and those are things that hurt, right? Like, if you've got something against me, take it up with me, but let's stay on the issues. Let's not go to, you know, to those type of things, which are really set to cut people down and to hurt them. Well said. Odell?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that in Charleston, South Carolina, where I grew up, it wasn't We didn't know anything about Jewish people. We just dealt with, to Rabbi's point, American racism was white or black. You know, that's just kind of how we saw things. We had no idea at all until you got in middle school and you had a friend who said, I don't eat or something like that on Friday. And, you know, you didn't know what that meant, but that meant, hey, can I have your fish? You know what I mean? Can I have whatever it was? You know, I'm, I'm that kid on free and reduced lunches like, hey, you ain't eating that? Okay. You're my man. I'm going to look for you every Friday. You know?
0: That's right. you hang out with work. a Jewish person, you might get some bacon out of it or something like hey, that. listen, yeah. listen.
1: That's kind of how it worked. You know, like, but for I just though, that, Bill. Yeah. No and, and,
0: barbecue. No barbecue.
1: Yeah, exact. To your point, though, Bill, you learn. And one of the things that I've learned, I had an opportunity to go on some interfaith trips to Israel, and and it's just different. It's hard to hate up close. It's hard to walk away with the bias, prejudice, and the stereotypes that we were taught on grandma's porch. Once you sit and break bread and travel and do all these things with people, you're like, wait a minute. To your point, Bill, I was taught a lie. And the question is, why was I taught a lie? I remember Rabbi Fred Gutman called me one day and he said, Odell, I'm like, yeah, Rabbi, uh, I have some friends over at Hebrew Congregation in St. Thomas, oldest synagogue, sand on the floor. And he said, I'm recommending you to go over there and preach for Martin Luther King Jr. years ago, service. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, okay, I'd love to. He said, well, they have to make a decision. And they decided to select me to go. And I remember going over there, just a whole different experience. Everybody was just so nice. Oh man, that synagogue is just, that synagogue is just historic. So many prestigious people have been in that, I want to say pulpit, but it's another term yeah, beam, on the bema. The bema everybody's yeah. been on the Bema and just the goal there and just the whole way it's set up. It always is good when one gets exposed. And then the following Saturday I led Torah studies. That was a whole nother idea, but I enjoyed it too. So I just want to say to the Jewish community in Greensboro, the Jewish Federation, both the temple and the synagogue. I mean, thank you for helping me. Thank you for Showing me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to look at things from another perspective. But it was up to me to seek the truth. It's almost like you can leave a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I just think that everything that's associated with that was just real good for me. And then we had a chance, Bill, you all mentioned early, going to Israel. And we got a chance to go on the tip of Mount. Well, to your point, Rabbi, you know, the Muslims. Population controls a certain part. The Jewish population controls a certain part. The Christian population controls a part of the Wall City. How can everyone live together in that scenario and make it work for everyone? You know. So, Rabbi, actually, how do you actually? You saw.
0: You saw a great. Uh... A great example of, let's call it coexistence. You know, it's more than a bumper sticker uh, because, as you know, uh, sites that are holy to three different uh, major world religions, you know, are within what, about a couple blocks walk of each other. And, uh, yeah, these were, you know, by and large, uh, things were, were running smoothly. Right. Uh, You know, we didn't see any violence. We didn't see people, you know, you know, you might have been able to feel a certain amount of uh, tension in the air, but you also but that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the city of Jerusalem writ large. But then you also feel a real spiritual resonance in the air. It's tough to talk about, you know, how you do that. I mean, Israel is its own reality. In the United States, we have our things to work out. I will tell you this, uh, just to kind of, you know, stay on this, on the topic of, of anti-Semitism for a moment is that, you know, we've seen a 34% uptick in anti-Semitic, you know, reports of anti-Semitic incidents just over the course of the last uh, year which is just shocking. I mean, things have been on the uptick. Mm -hmm. And as I said, uh, when we did our Martin Luther King service this year, it's like we saw a rise in anti-Semitism. And then we've seen also a rise in racism in some respects. And we take a look and we stand back from this. And, you know, then we, we realize these things never went away to begin with. Wow. You know, and that's what it was. So it's just a little over a year ago. And I think that those who uh, were watching TV that day, it was uh, mid-January of 2022 when a synagogue was having Shabbat morning services and and the rabbi and a few members of the congregation who were there were taken hostage. And you might say to yourself, well, you know, uh, that's not anti-Semitism, that's terrorism. And I agree with you in that respect. But what the hostage taker, who was demanding the release of a terrorist that was being held in uh, one of America's prisons, a convicted terrorist, what this particular person was operating on was anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic biases. The Jews control everything. If he comes in, takes this rabbi hostage, this rabbi calls another rabbi whose name he knew in New York, that that rabbi would be able to control the president who could then – and again, that's where – the biases and the prejudices come out. Thank God that that rabbi, who's now actually serving the congregation, the Temple Emmanuel, and Winston Salem, that guy, that he got out with his life as well as the others in his community, because it could have ended differently, mm. and we know that, right? Uh, We know that a little bit over a year ago here in Greensboro, and I know we've got an international audience, but that there were leaflets that were um, thrown, I should say leaflets, there were just like anti-Semitic flyers that were thrown onto people's driveways throughout Greensboro. And we've been hearing reports within the school system and in very other places. Just the other day, someone walked into the Barnes & Noble here, a bookstore, and started yelling anti-Semitic things. That was reported to the uh, local authorities. And uh, the Aryan nations, uh, again, I'm not there on their PR team or everything like that, but the world needs to know these things. We need to to shine a light on them. They were, again, starting to put pamphlets and leaflets out. What do they do? They blame Jewish people for the ills in society. And there it goes. And mm-hmm. what we say to people when these things happen is, please call, unless there's an active situation taking place. And this is not only true for Greensboro, but for anywhere. Call the non-emergency line of the local police department. Report it so that the authorities know. This, by the way, they should do for any type of, of bias or bigotry or hatred. And in addition to that, uh, reported to the Anti Defamation League, ADL.org. Anti Defamation League is ADL.org because they are the organization that helps to keep the statistics on it. And the problem of the anti Semitism growing so great that the executive branch of the United States, right, the convening of this task force on anti Semitism, because things here in a country where, again, we knew it existed, but we never imagined that stuff like this would happen are really once again getting out of hand. What do you think triggered this? You know, it could be anything. And again, it may not be up to, it's to me the there. answer, because it's all it's always yeah. been there. Yeah. But you can say that in we've seen anti-Semitism in good times, we've seen it in bad times, we've seen it in really, really bad times. And the past couple of years have been really, really bad times. Bill, if I could say one more thing, and I know that sometimes things come out as political and whatever have you, but I do think that one of the key moments here was the Unite the Right rally, which happened in the uh, summer. I want to say it was August, and I'm going to put the number on it of 2017. This was in Charlottesville, Virginia. And this is when you had people from many different of the far right extremist Nazi groups and uh, Klan groups that were marching through the campus. Remember, they had the torches and they were screaming, Jews will not replace us. And then, of course, the next day there was the war of a march and everything like that. And things really got out of hand. One woman, Heather Heyer, paid for it with her life the synagogue in town in charlottesville actually they have a back door of the synagogue and they were there for services it was a saturday morning and uh like you don't expect things like this to happen in 21st century america but they had to sneak out of the back door of their congregation because there were neo nazis across the street who were armed and who were standing there and wow. saying that's where the jews are i mean again it sounds like a you know 19th century poland or something yeah. like that but having said those things, I think that there was also, it was the response coming out of the the White House that usually the White House would say, look, the buck stops here and this is inappropriate. And instead you got, well, there's bad people on both sides to which- I should say, not only Democrats in Congress, but also Republicans in Congress and in the administration said, you can't say that, (laughs) right? And then the president kind of backed off a short while there, but then came back and doubled down and said that there are good people on both sides. And saying that there are good people on both sides was giving coverage to the racists and to the anti-Semites. And as we saw that happen, and maybe this is something that as your listeners are listening to this, they're shaking their heads a little bit. Uh, This was not the origin of anti-Semitism, but in terms of this recent rise, that's one of the things that we pinpointed to. So much so that many of us were very grateful when the current president, the sitting president, you know, tweeted out and said, listen, the Holocaust happened, Holocaust denial is atrocious and anti-Semitism needs to be stopped those type of things from the highest parts of our government are always appreciated. And yet when it happened, so how would you say uh, blatantly back in 2017? And when those words did not come out, I think that it just opened the door, which had, it it let those who are on the periphery much closer to the center than they've ever been. And that was really bad.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I tend to agree with you on that. Well,
1: well it's interesting because at the time in the white house, and this always happens. It happens in my tribe, in my race, yes. and it happens as an American. The gentleman who was the president's um, son-in-law, it had to be very difficult for him at the time, Rabbi, because you're right, because when you saw those individuals marching, and it wasn't just the march. I grew up in South Carolina. It was the expression and the anger on the faces like, why are you so angry and why are you so mad? Why you you just fuming it's like you know what in the world did someone do to you? Mm -hmm. That that's the part that in South Carolina when you see that you know exactly what you're seeing. It's almost like you can see the bitter racism and hatred on the person's face, Bill. And that makes a huge difference to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) when you see torches at night, Odell, right? Yes. When I hear Jews will not replace us, right? And so, you know, I mean, look, it wouldn't be fair for me because there are probably some listeners who are saying, well, why aren't you talking about, you know, about Yay, right? The artist formerly known as Kanye West, right? And so, I'm happy to talk about it. I was very, very disappointed. And again, that's one of the things that we were responding to. And, you know, we heard many people say, look, that really crossed a line. Definitely did. Relations between between African-Americans and Jewish people have historic roots. There also have been some historic tensions. My own feeling is that uh, when we work together, you know, we can get things done. And when we don't, it's almost like no one wins, right? (laughs) You know, when you have uh, different minority groups that are working together with each other, because we do have important lessons to teach the rest of the world. I got to tell you, there is a book that I recommend uh, that people take a look at if they have not yet because I think it's an important, maybe one of the most important books written in the 21st century related to Jewish peoplehood, okay? right, And I say those words very deliberately because very often we talk about the Jewish faith. Right. But we're more than just a faith community. And in fact, I want to stress that notion of Jewish peoplehood, both for Jewish listeners, because we do feel a connection to one another, but also for others, because for so long throughout history, we were denied the status of even being people, of even being citizens. We were seen by some as being subhuman. The Nazis took away our humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those other things. So Jewish peoplehood. So what's this really important title? You know, one of two books that I would recommend about Jewish people peoplehood. This book is called People Love Dead Jews. The author, her name wow. is Dara Horn. Uh, D-A-R-A-H-O-R-N is her last name, Dara Horn. And again, you know, you can probably pick up one or another of the uh, podcasts that she's been on over the course of time, just the past couple of years. But that book, we did a congregational read of this book. And I'll just tell you, she doesn't go through the whole long history, but she does talk about this. It's like, yeah, you know, um, there are some incidents out there. People don't may not even know what they're talking about, Right. But it's tremendously harmful to us and can leave scars not only on individuals, but also on our entire people for more than just a few moments, but for generations. Hmm.
1: Wow. Rabbi, you know something? I think you brought up a good point. Can we go back and revisit the Kanye incident and explain it and how, because I don't think that people of color, black folks are off the hook, too. We have a responsibility Also, I have a responsibility. So help explain that because I agree with your statement that maybe some listeners say, well, wait a minute. You gave Kanye a pass. You gave Odell Black Folk a pass. No, no one gets a pass here. No one Let's gets, talk about
0: that. No, no, no. Just like Jewish people shouldn't be given a pass on racism or on other types of bigotry, things that we've grown up with, things that, again, you know, I find myself even wrestling with as growing up as a white man. I mean, I, you know, uh, in, as, a, as a kid and everything like that. What I do know is that in the years before I was born down in South Florida, there were signs that were up in um, in Miami Beach that said this area is restricted. Right. No Jews and no dogs to which African to which African-Americans used to say they don't even care about us enough to even put us on the sign restricting. Mm. Right. Mm. Wow. And to say these things. Right. Because what happens is, is that there's this idea that Jewish people control Hollywood or the Jewish people control the banks and we control business. And when Kanye was was saying these things. Right. It was so darn harmful because it was playing into those tropes. And I'm not going to try to say, and as we know, there are a lot of Jewish actors or a lot of Jewish agents or anything, because that gets you nowhere. The idea that there's some sort of conspiracy to control things and to keep people away, again, is playing into those old stereotypes and no community outside the Jewish community is immune to this. I should say this, right? There's not a, you can be black and Jewish. I mean, you know, so very often I'm talking about non-Jewish African-Americans, right? And sometimes, you know, the reminder is, is that, yeah, some of the, you know, like you can't hate from up close. And sometimes we just... Haven't hung out with each other in a while, which is why I make every effort to do it personally and encourage people in our community, right, to make connections in all different directions. But it was just painful to hear, to hear these things, right? Uh, it's painful when you have, you know, a notorious racist like, uh, what was his name? Nick Fuentes, you know, who's invited to, who's, you know, again, invited into, to talk with a former president. And it's infuriating because, When you have people who have, how would you say it? They have a big platform in the world, right? There's a little bit more responsibility that comes with that broader platform that you have, right? You know, to check your biases, even if you are part of a marginalized community, to check your biases because of the way that it impacts others. I mean, I find myself having to do this myself and watch what I say and watch my words. You know, it's just been a painful, painful year. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and But then he doubled down. Kanye oh, doubled right. down, yeah. my understanding. Yeah. So let's talk about one thing for someone to say, hey, a Floridian slip, all that. But he doubled down. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. I think I know what I'm talking about. Adidas won't drop me and this won't happen. This one. I'm like, man, you sound like a fool. But go yeah, ahead, Rabbi. Yeah. How did you feel about no. the double downing?
0: Again, that shows you where someone is. And you, you kind of take a look. For example, I think Nick Cannon. OK, that there was at one point that Nick was called out for anti-Semitic stuff. And the guy actually did a deep dive and dedicated a certain number of his podcasts, right, to having encounters with Jewish people and saying, you know something, I really stepped over the line and was wrong. The same way, by the way, and, and it's not like there's somebody out there who's just saying, well, you know, you're going to pay for it because you can never say anything about the Jewish. Look, if I make a mistake, call me out for the mistake I made, not because I'm Jewish. Right. Right. And and in Nick Cannon, what he did was he went on this journey, if you will, this life journey, you know, just like we we would talk about any of the changes we make in the life and said, you know, something, I learned something along the way and I'm going to teach a little bit more about this, right? I think that one of the ways to counter hatred is through education, right? Through teaching and being very honest with ourselves and being very honest with what the material is that we're presenting. On the other hand, when you double down, right? The way that some do, that kind of shows who you really are. And I think at this point, it's not inaccurate to look at Yay and just say, you know, right now you're an unrepentant anti-Semite. Just like we say that someone is an unrepentant racist or an unrepentant bigot, you know, in any direction, right? He's an unrepentant anti-Semite right now. And that's going to be something that he's going to have to, as his story is being told, You know, great artist, great rapper, unrepentant anti-Semite. I would not want that on my resume, right? And, you know, it's so hard because when someone from outside your world calls you out on stuff, you're like, yeah, that's just the noise from outside. And what this takes, right? Like when I hear Jewish people who are, and I I guess I can say this as a rabbi, who make forays into the world of bigotry, right? I've got to have the responsibility to call them out. If I were on, you know, when I'm on the left and if I'm, you know, if I'm somebody who's on the left, I got to be the one who stands up and says, you know something, you've gone too far. And if I'm on the right, I'm just going to be as, you know, like, you know, whatever, (laughs) you know, as as equal and as possible. And someone on the right is, you know, you're going too far. You know, if I'm within the Jewish community, I'm going to do that. And I would say that there's a certain responsibility for those of us within our own communities to say to people, you've taken this too far. You've gone too far. This is not right. I agree. Sure. Cause yeah. you're, you know, whether bad, bad theology kills, right? Your words have power. Absolutely. And they have power not only to to cut down, they also have power to lift up. If Mm -hmm. somebody were to look at what they've said and they said, you know something, I'll give you an example of this. With all the rise, the recent uptick in anti-Semitism, Hanukkah came around this year. And um, I turned to, and I just had to think quick on my feet. We don't decorate our Hanukkah menorahs, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I've never seen. (laughs) There's nice art or something like that, but to decorate, I had heard about this that was done in another place. And I said, well, what happens if we were to, quote unquote, decorate our Hanukkah menorah, if I were to turn out to some of my friends, like Reverend Odell Cleveland? And I would say, yes. you can write a long statement, paragraphs long, but what I want is I, I just want two paragraphs from leaders of faith communities. We just need to know that we're not walking this path alone. Say what you will in support of the Jewish community. If you want to say Holocaust denial has no place, you know, anti-Jewish hatred has no place, you'll find the right words. I'm just asking you as a friend if you would send something our way. And I thought, well, eight nights of Hanukkah—great idea. Maybe if I if I turn to 20 different faith communities, 20 different faith leaders, I do have a lot of faith. But people are busy. Hanukkah this came <laughs> around right around the time of Christmas. And I said, you know, I have to have some compassion because I came up with this idea at the last minute. Have some compassion on people that are writing their sermons and getting ready to have like big, you know, high holidays for yeah. uh, for Christianity. Because I know it when our high holidays come around. I said. Well, maybe, you know, maybe we'll get eight. Maybe if not, you know, there's I I could find some way to to overlap. We got over 20. I mean, I I turned to about, you know, 22, 24. I think we got over 20 responses so that our entire outdoor menorah facing the world, right? That Hanukkah menorah was not only covered in light, but was reflecting the light of support from communities around ours for Jewish, let's call it Jewish personhood, Jewish peoplehood. That was one of the biggest blessings I've gotten. Wow. You talk about common ground, because I know that that's one of the questions you ask us. that's where it is. I I can't speak for others, but I can ask others, can you show me some support? And that's what we got. Wow. That's a great story. You know, around that
2: time, I was in my front yard and I saw a couple cars go by with menorahs on the top. Yes. (laughs) And then it wasn't a couple cars. It was a lot of cars. Yes, yes. And I'm like, how cool is that? That they're celebrating and they're they're proud
0: of it. I don't know where you went, but yeah, I know you came past my. Yeah, track. that that wasn't our temple. Uh, that wasn't the Beth David Synagogue. That's another group here in town. Oh, really? And, and thumbs up to the uh, to the Chabad Center here in town for doing that work and really doing an additional representation in this area. They come from much more of the ultra orthodox okay. perspective, but do uh, do do other work in the community and that type of a thing. Again, for a community that represents only a very small small percentage in most towns. And sometimes we aren't even there. Right. Odell. And I think I quoted you (laughs) in my high holiday sermon this year. You know, thank you. You can't hate from up close. Right. Because I know that that's one of the teachings that you've shared over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. Right. Right. My hope is, is that our connections with one another, right, seeing menorahs go down the street, driving past a menorah on a very prominent corner here in town during Hanukkah, and it's like, well, what's all those papers over there? And seeing that those are community support for the Jewish people, right? Right. In a world that might otherwise either A, forget us, or B, have really lousy things to say, because again, the programming has been there for so long, to have so many who say, you know what, no, 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 that's not really a representation. Jewish people need to know that even with this uptick right now, Who are the people who are there as allies? It's us. Yes, amen. It's us, your friends. And those of us who don't know you, we want to get to know you better. We'll do our best to take some of those things that have just been programmed into us and let them go for a while. So that we can encounter not the stereotype, but the real Jewish person, the real Jewish community. Exactly. And thumbs up to you guys for having done that and done that so often within, you know, our area. It really broadcasting this message out to so many others that that common ground really is available. It
2: needs to be said, Rabbi. It really does. I want to go back to one thing, education. You Mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, the key to this is education. And I just want to give you a couple examples why I agree with you. And it relates to one person that we had on our podcast and two something i read okay. uh we had on our podcast the son of the number one white supremacist he wrote the bible for i shouldn't say i remember he yeah i remember that uh, yeah. yes yeah and uh um, in fact when timothy mcveigh blew up oklahoma his dad's book was in his pickup truck and he was brought up hating whites you know just hating jews and blacks and everything you could think of mm-hmm. and uh we asked him how did you get out of that environment and he says, once I was able to leave the house and become educated on other people, I wasn't so indoctrinated, I realized there were other ways. And he took it to an extreme. He said that when he was 26, he was so concerned about he might be carrying a gene that would be like his dad. He had a vasectomy. Yeah, I remember that. Story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then I read about the guy who started Oath Keepers, the guy with the one eye patch. Mm-hmm. And his son did an article about how him and his mom were able to get out of the house because they realized that what they were taught and the way they were being treated was not right. And they basically condemned their dad for the way he was and is, and it's all because of education.
0: Yeah. People so, are not born hating. I think, again, that's another one that oh, I heard man. Odell say yeah. over the course of these past couple of years. People are not born hating. You pick it up somewhere.
2: Yeah, somebody teaches you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't come out of the womb hating. No.
0: no. Go to any pre-kindergarten. You'll be able to see that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Odell, you want to close this out?
0: Yeah,
1: Rabbi, you know,
0: I'm sure I've shared this story before, but I
1: don't think I ever shared it with you. You may have heard it. You know, my mother had a massive stroke when she was 25 years old, divorced, single mother, four. We were living in public housing. She was working in a shirt factory, Manhattan Shirt Factory, Charleston, South Carolina, and going to school at night to get her GED. She was a teenage mother, and these things happened. Well, she had a stroke and went to medical university. It wasn't called that then, about 56, 57 years ago. And they sent her home. They said, you have a paralysis, come back. I think it was on a Friday night. Come back on Tuesday on the free clinic day. Now she had insurance because she was working at Manhattan Shirt Factory. So they sent her home and she went back home. And if anybody know anything about a stroke victim, minutes count, hours count, days count. And my mother went back home for a, a day and a half almost till she got trying to get better. And my grandmother called her doctor. It was a white Jewish doctor, and I'm telling you this for a reason, who came over to my grandmother's house and examined my mother and said, it's a stroke. Let's take her right back to the hospital. They took her back to what is now Medical University. And the same physician argued with the white Jewish doctor, said, I told her to come back on the free clinic day. And the doctor argued for my mother. And I believe if he didn't, my mother would be dead now. Now, I've tried to find out who this man was. And I never could find out. They said that a couple months or years later, he was driving to Columbia, South Carolina for something. And on his way back home, he got killed in a car accident. It would be such a blessing if somebody knew who this white Jewish doctor was who helped save our mother's life, who got lived in Charleston, saw black patients at a time when people wouldn't, and got killed returning from Columbia, South Carolina in a car accident. That would be such a blessing for my family. So I just want to say thank you. Just thank you for blessings that happened that we don't even know about. But somebody cared enough that my mother's life was worth fighting for. So I just want to say thank you. Just want to say thank you.
0: Amen to that. Amen. I mean, Amen. You know, Adele... Mm. The Jewish tradition doesn't have, like, all these drawings of angels, at least that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, instead, we say that angels are those people that, you know, we may not know their names. We may not know how to locate them, but they made a difference, maybe even a life-saving difference in our life. And that seems to be the case. I will tell you this. I have a lot of things that I carry on my heart especially in times of prayer. And I just kind of said, you know, look, I, I may not be able to articulate the names, but God, I want you to know, I'm opening up my heart now in prayer. That story is one of those stories that's going to stay in my heart mm. as every time I pray, Odell, mm. every time I pray, because, you know, hear you saying this, you know, to one of your, I mean, we've known each other for a long time. We're going close yes. to a few decades. Yes. now. Yes. But, uh, telling a friend that, and, uh, I'll take that story into Jewish circles. I think the world knows that story now also, but uh, what an amazing thing. I hope one day you do find out who it was, but until then, I just know that his story is going to be part of Jewish prayers as I go forward. in as much as it's also part of your own Mm. and uh, may, uh, may you and your whole family just continue to have blessings.
2: Thank you. Odell, for those folks listening, if they want to dig in and help, can you give them a, a time period this happened?
1: Uh, it was about 50, about 50, years ago. Um, I don't know the exact date. It was around
2: 19, the time. In the 1968, 67, yeah. 66 timeframe.
1: Yep, Charleston, mm-hmm. South Carolina. I don't know, just bits and pieces, Bill. Just trying to go back and put together, and I know I can't tell him thank you, but maybe I can tell his children or his grandchildren, just thank you. You mm-hmm. know, just thank you. And I think it's worth the effort to go back and just tell people, thank you for act of kindness, Mm. you know?
0: But yes. I think we close on that note. I think so too, right? The kind acts, right? Uh, The kind acts are are really responsible for uh, entire universes.
2: You will meet them in heaven, Odell.
0: Amen. Well, I'm the spirit of...
1: Thanking people for helping people who couldn't help themselves at the time. With not wanting anything in return, is different than helping somebody who of prominence that you know you're gonna get something back in return. So it's just powerful. And I had no idea I was gonna talk about that today. But when Rabbi was talking, that just came back to me just to say, tell him thank you, Odell. Just tell him thank you. And that's why I did it. So thank you.
0: Amen. Amen to that. Amen. Find Bill and Odell online at the Show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group, Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer, Doug Harding, Creative Director, Jacob Sutherland, Director, Producers Jason Gentarola and Matt Golden, and Jin Ray Zhang, Video Producer. All rights reserved.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the Triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.